The year is 1999. SpongeBob SquarePants enters homes for the first time as millions of children are eager to see Patrick, Squidward, and Gary each week in their living rooms. Bertrand Picard and Brian Jones are the first to circumnavigate the world in a hot air balloon. Speaking of circumnavigation, Sphinx, LPJ, and special guest Testonomics try to navigate their way around a bunch of vigilantes trying to take down the city of Boston. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! I feel the need for need for speed. You can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Last Action Podcast. I am the Sphinx, and with me is... LPJ, it's me, it's LPJ. Hi. Why, why'd you say that so fast? I don't know, it's me, it's LPJ. What's the matter with you? It's LPJ. Do you got Tourette's like the guy in this movie? Is <laughs> uh, that coming out later? Yes. All right. With us today, we have a special guest, the one, the only, Testonomics. To the surprise of absolutely nobody, the Screaming Eagle is my favorite part of that intro. I can't imagine why that would be. <laughs> I'm an eagle guy. Sweet. <laughs> maybe, maybe when we do uh, Iron Aces to Screaming Eagles, he's going to be on. Yeah. Oh, that might be that might be Iron Aces. That might be. Uh... Stop talking. Okay, so let's get right into our movie today. We have the Boondock Saints, which you know I gave this intro for the year 1999. And I had an argument with LPJ about this earlier today, saying that technically the movie came out in Denmark in 1999, but it came out in the U.S. in the year 2000. Yeah, January 21st, 2000, that's fine. So I should have done a 2000 intro. And my response to you was, I'm your messiah, not your boss. I gave you free will. Do whatever the fuck you want. I want to hurt you right now. Really badly. Just fucking do it. You want? You want to? Hey, hey, let's language. wind this back. Let's language. wind this back. And we can do it again. Man, what, what are we rewinding back? You know, what, let's, let's get through this. So, yeah. Boondock so we got Boondock Saints. Sorry, Tessa, you had to deal with all that. Nonetheless, you know, I, I do have a quote actually from this movie to to kind of start us off here, and it's right near the beginning. It was from the priest in the beginning of the movie. He says, "Fear the indifference." of good men. I really like that quote. LPJ, do you have anything to say about that? Fear the indifference of good men. I don't know why we're starting with that, but yeah, great quote. Test? Out of every quote in the movie, I don't I don't know how that was the one that you decided <laughs> to pull out. I don't know, man. There's a lot of very memorable quotes in this movie, and I don't know if I could have came up with that one. Well, I mean, every other quote would have the fuck word in it, so because this is an intense movie with that word. They say it a couple times. I, like twice, maybe, max. I don't know. I really like that quote. I think it's special. It stuck with me. Nonetheless. Pop quiz, hot shot. Th- that was quick. I thought I did the pop quiz this time. No, I do. I have two. This is the first of the f- two. Oh, I have one. Is this any good? Uh, how many times is the word fuck and its derivatives used? 
Um, I can tell you that. It's 246 times. Bingo. There it is right there. <laughs> Test 246 times. They say fuck or it's derivative. I would have overshot it, but not by much. No problem. I, I had, I had right. 252 in my head. Nice. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much time in the movie to say the word fuck. Does that include, so. include deleted scenes, though? Because they might say it six more times in the deleted scenes, which would make me super right. I did not see those. I do not know that either. All right, so this movie, 99, 2000, arguably, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, written and directed by Troy Duffy, who up until this movie had zero film experience. This movie has a gigantic backstory. Yeah. Okay, go. Y- you don't know it? I do, know, I do know it, but you I, seem excited. Well, well it's huge. Go well, ahead. I guess first off, so this movie is definitely like a cult classic. It didn't do anything when it came out, right? It was... From what I saw here, it was released in five theaters. Do you know why it was only released in five theaters? I do. Yes. So it's not the movie's fault it was only released in five theaters. They had bad timing. That well, Very bad timing. Yes. It did something like 30 grand in theaters. $30,471. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just... And so the reason why I got this following was just because you, you had to do it through movie dvd home video sales well uh, to make this happen but even that is an issue blockbuster saved this movie blockbuster bought the rights to release this and put it in every single blockbuster they could because it was cheap yeah i mean my i guess before we get deeper into this story i guess like what is what is our relationship with this movie like first time we saw whatever it may be so let's start with you test what was your first experience with this so this was a movie i watched based on recommendations and i'll date myself here uh of friends i had very early in my high school career um probably would have been right around summer of 2004 i did a little thinking earlier was the first time i saw this just based on you know kids i was going to school with they're like you would really like this movie and anybody who knows me I'm not a movie guy. I see some of the, you know, critically acclaimed must-sees, and but I, I don't see a lot of those as well. So I watched this movie. I really, really liked this movie, and since I saw it the first time, it has been definitively my favorite movie ever. So that's why I kept pitching for us to talk about it. Yeah, that is exactly my background on this, too. A bunch of friends in high school are like, hey, we know this movie. I think it's going to be awesome. Let's see it. It was probably 2002, 2003 for me. I remember seeing it and not thinking it was very good, though. So that's where you and I are deferring a little bit, at least for right now. When I first saw it, I was like, this movie's weird as hell, and William Dafoe freaks the hell out of me. Willem? No, I said William. It's Willem. It's Willem. Is it really? Yeah. It's William Dafoe? This is just the latest in a long (laughs) line of Sphinx mispronouncing shit. But it's spelled like William. Fugitive? Fugitive? You know what people How don't, don't, you don't need fugitive? You don't need to bring that back, okay? That's that was a different episode. Alright, let's hear your story. So my story is back in I hate you. I'm gonna say that right now. <laughs> so I I worked in a video store circa nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. So I had heard people in the video store talking about this movie. We had a copy of it, um, because we were an independent chain, so we just bought a copy and put it on the shelves. And it was always checked out. Um, and then I worked at Best Buy, and I, there were two guys that worked at Best Buy there um, that loved this movie to the point where they dressed up as the brothers one day. Did you call the police on them? I should have. Uh, Not a super complex cosplay, though. No, they had, <laughs> they had really nice rope. Um, so 
yeah, they dressed up. So I had always kind of heard this movie in the background. It was, and then I saw it on Netflix a few years ago. Not didn't watch on Netflix. I saw that it was on Netflix a few years ago, and it was kind of on my list of yeah, eventually I'll get around to it. The first time I saw it was last week. We wow. watched it for this podcast. You never got around to it, huh? I didn't, and I don't think I missed much. Man, Ooh. like I don't, I don't particularly, mm. I don't particularly care for this movie. Man, and I and it's not, and I'm not going to badmouth it because I can certainly understand why it's a cult classic. Like I get, okay, so we'll get into this now. Um, I don't, I don't understand most of this movie because it's not very well made. I understand it's a cult classic, and I understand why it's a cult classic. But I think it's only because it hit a certain group of people at a certain period of time in their life. Much in the same way a film like Clerks becomes a cult classic. It's not a particularly good movie when you look at it from an outside perspective. It's written pretty well, but overall it's not that great of a movie. And But it hit a certain generation of people at a certain time where it made sense to them and thus became a larger movie. Um, Rocky Horror Picture Show is another example of that. And I think that's 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 kind of the definition of a cult cult movie is it hits a certain group of people at a certain time in their life when they need a movie like that and then they latch onto it and it becomes part of their identity. But it's not a particularly good movie. Wow. Okay. I Yeah, I mean I I'm trying to think where to go from there. That was, was very thought provoking, very intense. Yeah, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a movie person. So there's sure. only, so I, I have no, I like, I don't like clerks. So I would be a great example of someone that, you know, I feel the same way about clerks that you probably felt about this movie. Like, I'm, this is okay. I'm not going to watch it again. I guess I'm glad that I saw it because now I can say that I saw it, but I'm not going to watch it again. And that's exactly how I feel about this movie. Yeah. And I think it's maybe it's, maybe it's generational because I'm, I, I don't know, how old are you? 30. Okay, so I'm eight years, almost nine years older than you. So my clerks is your boondock saints. How do you feel about Rocky Horror, though? I hate Rocky Horror. I'm a Rocky Horror guy. See, and that may be generational, too. That may be one of those things where it comes back. How do you feel about Rocky Horror? Nah. Right? But how do you feel about clerks? I like clerks. See, it's, it's all, it, it, it's those movies. They're not necessarily good movies, but they hit a certain need that you have at a certain time in your life. And, uh, and it fills whatever void you have. And some movies do it, some movies don't. I, I'm not as... I don't know. I don't feel... For this, I you're thinking of a lot bigger picture and influence it has like overall on your life at that time. I didn't really get that vibe from this movie. Okay. For, for me, the, the bigger issue of this movie was an issue that we've talked that I've talked about several times on this podcast is that it, it had a great premise and it has a great plot to it but it it just misses really badly like this movie does have the potential to really be a special and great movie i mean absolutely a a, a awesome movie and there are so many parts to it that i do really enjoy but it, it just it missed too much for me. It missed the mark. I agree. It felt underdeveloped. And especially And that could be because this guy had no background at whatsoever. I think that's what he it was is. a musician. And he does and all of a sudden Miramax gives him an opportunity to direct a Hollywood movie. That's I don't know of a story like that, do you? Quentin Tarantino. Is it Tarantino? 100%. Well, and that, and that was a lot of the criticism that yeah. he got from this. It was like, oh, oh he's just this guy trying to be another, trying to you know, take a, a little bit of what 
Tarantino's magic was and do it himself and he did it poorly you know I, I think I can agree with you that things don't necessarily progress in a storytelling way that you can follow but someone like me who I liked the movie the first the first time enough to go back and and read the context to fill in those blanks with sub, you know supplemental material so now when I watch it I'm I've already connected those dots in my head I'm not missing anything so you know maybe there is a bit of rose colored glasses and I'm watching it through and I I could admit that cuz I do agree that there are plenty of movies that just naturally flow a bit better even with as interesting of a storytelling you know way that they do it well not just that i mean the whole aspect my biggest issue with this is it could have been so much better it could have been a better version of wanted if you ever seen wanted so you, the whole premise of wanted is it's an organ based on a comic book it's an organization of assassins that go out and change the history of the world this is very similar in so far as you've got these two guys who know this prayer for whatever reason from their father who turns out to be a hitman mm-hmm. who says this prayer but there's no background to connect why he knows this prayer why he's such a good assassin I mean the the the, the it's very superficial it is very superficial and I think what could have been developed better in this film is giving his father their father an identity like he's a hitman from a clan of hitmen from Ireland this is their clan prayer that he teaches these kids and he's bringing them into the fold for this massive assassination organization that then goes out and changes the world so they kind of stumble upon what they're doing in the big 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 you know worldview in their small little worldview not even realizing that this is what they're bred for this is like what their whole life is about and I think that would have been a better... I, I didn't see the sequel, so I don't know if that plays into it at all. So, That's the next thing I was going to ask. Yeah, Tess, so have you seen the others? I, I have, and it does give background to their dad. I do not recommend watching it okay. because they try to catch fire in a bottle again the same way they got that cult following, and they do it poorly. A lot of it's rehashed. They even bring in a guy to fill in one of the guys that dies. You know, oh, here's the new third guy. And he does a he does mm-hmm. a bad job because David Delarocco's character yeah. was written based on David Delarocco the person. Mm-hmm. So when you try to get this actor to act a similar way, be that similar type of of third guy, it fell flat. Um, the the current day story that was going on was kind of uh, you know it was just the same. It was all the same. But they did give some background to to their father, which was. Nice context to have going forward, but I don't recommend watching it. What was the context? I'm just curious. So I, I only ever saw it once because it, it had that little of an impact on me. I want to say that he was a apprentice at a, a leather for a, a leather working, and there was I don't know if it was if it was his dad, and there was a buddy who was like the muscle. Well, the muscle was missing one day when these guys came and killed his dad or whoever he was reporting up to, whoever he saw as a father figure. So then he then gets in ropes with this muscle guy who wasn't there and like teach me to kill, and that then becomes literally the entire thing is teach me how to become a killer. He becomes this super good killer, and that's why he ends up in a maximum security prison as you see that for him you know his reveal in this movie but it, that could be wrong i'm not going to claim that i like sure. Doc saints to all saints day all that mm-hmm. much um that's just the little bit that i remember i saw it in theater opening day never never watched it again okay well, okay and i guess there is a third one in the works whether or not it actually happens or not i don't know it's, but yeah. I know it's, it's been, it's been in the works since 2012 i think in 2015 they're like yeah it's in pre-production yeah. and that's the last we heard of it okay, okay. So, we, we mentioned it earlier, but we can talk a little bit more about this backstory Sorry. here. Um, so, as we mentioned, Troy Duffy is the writer and director of this film. 
that this movie of his it's inspired by real life events he lived in la there was a, 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 a situation that happened at his apartment where a woman across the hall from him was murdered it was a drug dealer's apartment he rented a computer because he didn't own one because he was a bartender and was a musician for a band called the the broads i believe that they were called brids and he started to write the screenplay with the premise that like with all the shit and crap that goes on in life um and hearing about all these people getting away with things and being so ruthless and awful that there just comes this breaking point and what if there was this twisted fantasy of no judge or jury and you just go for execution go right for it and that's you know that's pretty much what this movie is about mm-hmm. is is having these brothers um ignoring the law taking matters in their own hands and becoming these vigilantes in the city of boston going after all these bad crime mobbers and whatnot so duffy writes this in 96 um he's trying to get it through all these different studios and producers there does become a bidding war for this screen right um and miramax ends up winning it for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars and as part of the deal he gets to direct the movie as well and they buy him a bar Yes, and he, the bar that he was working at, he gets to own, right? And his band is allowed to provide the soundtrack. Correct. So, Which it sounds like they did. Yeah. He was originally given a $15 million budget by the one and only, do you know who it was? Well, if it's Miramax, it's, here, it's Weinstein. Yeah, it's Harvey Weinstein. Um, and apparently, Troy Duffy kind of goes crazy. Like, he gets the Hollywood ego in his head before he even does anything. And while they're trying to work on casting um, and trying to sign on to producers and all that, he just, like, goes off the deep end. Like, he's getting all these, like, famous stars to come into his bar and talk to him about this movie. Like, the, the screenplay was hot. Like, people wanted to be a part of this movie, but he was like a dick. And there's just a crazy list of people that he was trying to get into this movie and he just kind of ruins it based on his attitude and what he does. I mean, just a couple of names here. We got Steven Dorff. We got Mark Wahlberg, who passed the movie on for, for Boogie Nights. We have Sir Kenneth Branagh. We got Brendan Fraser. We've got Ewan McGregor, which the story with Ewan McGregor is... Um, Duffy flies out to New York to talk to McGregor about the movie. They get drunk at a bar and they start yelling and screaming at each other about the death penalty. And at the end of the night, McGregor's like, hell with you. I'm not doing anything with this movie. Like, it's just bizarre stories that are going on um, with this movie. And eventually, when we also got names, I got Patrick Swayze, Mike Myers, Bill Murray, Sylvester Stallone, Kevin Spacey, Robert De Niro, like massive, huge blockbuster names. And he just continues to derail the situation so badly that Miramax pulls it. That that near the last minute when they're trying to get ready, finally get things done, we're talking, I think it's December 97, they pull out of the project. They tell Duffy he can keep 300 grand of the deal because that was for the screenwrite. He has to pay back 150,000 in director fees, and then he has to pay back an additional 700,000 of spending he already did to get this movie going. Just nuts. So, do you want, you want me to keep going on the story? No, you're you right. I mean, I a mean, lot of this movie was nuts. sabotaged by 
by uh, Troy Duffy. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's, that's where I think, that's what really irritates me about this, is the premise is really good. It could have been a much, much better film, um, from my standpoint, um, had he been a little more practiced about what he was doing. Yeah. And we see this a lot with... Troy Duffy's self-sabotage seems to just be his gimmick. You know, Boondock Saints 2 was coming for a long time before it actually came to fruition. And um, there was a live action, like a live action show that was supposed to come out that I don't know if it's even still in pre-pre-pre-production or if somebody pulled the plug on that. He seems to get his in his own head and he might just be one of those creative geniuses who can't get out of his own way, but he has yet to do something that really makes me believe that that's what's going on. I think he's, I think he's just kind of a dick. Yeah. Like he's just kind of a dick. He, he gets money. He's like, I'm going to do it my way or the highway. And when someone says the highway, he's like, oh no, wait, let me get out of my own head. And then something gets done. But I mean, is there anybody surprised that there's been two Boondock Saints movies in 20 years 20 years when you know i mean a 50 million dollar dvd sale you think that'd be enough to warrant a couple sequels but <laughs> clearly not and he's trying to act like a hot shot and he has zero clout like he's got no he's got nothing he's got no background no you know nothing so it's like where the hell do you come from trying to talk to these studios and trying to talk to these big name actors give them attitude and and yell at them and swear at them and all that like who the hell are you to to be acting this way for this movie this dream that you're hoping to to do so he he does start to go around after the miramax deal falls through he's trying to figure out some other um film companies that want to take it on uh the independent studio franchise pictures ends up taking it which is what the movie is um produced by um, but they offer him half of the budget, even less than half of the budget. I think he only gets like five or six million bucks to make this movie. And that's about it. Um, and he shows it at the Toronto and the Cannes Film Festival. Cannes. Fe- Cannes, sorry. At uh, the 98-99 festival. And as was mentioned briefly, timing becomes the issue now. Because, well, what what's going on in America at this point? Columbine. Yeah. So you've got the Columbine Massacre. Um, you know, in Colorado, and he's trying to get a major studio to sign on for this movie, which is hardcore, insane, like shooting up, being vigilantes, all that kind of stuff. Like, there is no interest for these major studios to want to be a part of this. And so in the end, he just finds this little company that decides to, to finally buy it. It only shows in five theaters total in the United States, and it only runs for one week, and that's it. And it ends up making $50 million um, in home video sales. Like you said, Blockbuster, what were they doing? Giving it out to people or whatever? They bought the rights to it, bought a bunch of copies, and and just filled filled the shelves with it. And it becomes a huge cult hit just based on that. And then Duffy gets none of this money. No, part of the deal was he, he didn't retain, he didn't think far enough ahead to retain any of the video rights, any of the DVD rights. All of this and, and the attitude and, and how Duffy handles himself, it comes from a documentary called Overnight from 2003. Have you ever seen it? Never Jeff? seen it. No. I didn't okay. get a chance to watch it, but I saw that it was there. I, I hear it's a phenomenal um, documentary. Actually, I think it won even a couple of awards Yeah, as it goes through like what Duffy was dealing with. Um, the two directors of the movie were actually... They, they had a chance, a couple opportunities to interview Duffy, and I guess throughout the documentary... like. Duffy even changes in how he acts. Like in the beginning, 
of the documentary, he's like, whatever, like, yeah, I made mistakes, all that. And then by the end, he's getting all defensive and like all that old bad behavior actually is, is truly seen at the end of this documentary as well. So just a really bizarre one of the most bizarre backstories, I would say, for any movies that we've that we've done on this show for what's yeah, going on. Yeah, I would on. say so. So, anyway, um, for the music, uh, it is done by Duffy's band. Um, they later do get renamed the Boondock Saints. Uh, LPJ, I believe you have a sound sample for us. What do we got? Yeah, this is um, the the main theme. Uh, Test. We go ahead and uh, what what's your thoughts on these main themes? Well, you know. Th- for for a song that does have a lot of deep brooding moments and things like that there's only one song only one audio aspect i even remember and it's the intro you know when you see the guys at the very beginning and you know they're kind of cutting through their their current backstory of being meat packer workers and you see a overfly of boston and it's just this irish little tune and this is the only song i could even begin to identify from this movie yep here it is good song it's i mean i like song. it you, you got a good little irish jig and then you throw a little bit of percussion in there well and hearing it makes me sad for what the movie could have been like this is a great opening song to this day it's still my alarm in the morning on my phone it's a great song nice it is huh? so good like this is it's a fantastic song very cool um let's get through our cast here i i, I mean i guess i'm gonna say his name wrong because i've already done it like two times defoe Willem Dafoe. William Dafoe. Willem. Will Will William. Willem. Willem. I can't oh, do it. Fucking shit. <laughs> Willem, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. <sighs> that's, that's not my. That's, so Willem Dafoe is my in name. <laughs> and while and I like Willem Dafoe in this, I think he's great in this. I think at times he kind of goes a little over the edge. Uh, but a little bit over the edge. I don't know this. I don't know if there is another role in a movie where I've seen someone go as over the edge as Defoe goes in this movie. He's a passionate detective. What do you want he him to do? He is out of his mind. I think he took cocaine before he filmed these scenes. It was the 90s. He yeah, could have. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and he's already got like those buggy eyes and everything. He he freaked the shit out of me in this movie again. Like he, he terrifies me. Like If I saw Defoe in the street, I would be running the other way. Well, Defoe's a scary looking guy. Yeah. I mean, he just is. I mean, my first real association with him was like in Spider-Man, and he was even terrifying then as Green Goblin. Yeah. 
as he should have been. He was the bad yeah, guy. Yeah, he was the bad guy. I, I, I get that. And now he's a good guy, and he's even more terrifying in this movie. Yeah, there's definitely... I mean, he definitely goes over the top. And I don't know that he's terrifying. He's just very eccentric. And But I thought it, I thought it made sense for the movie, believe it or not. What? Yeah. I mean, I thought he, you, know, you needed some kind of over-the-top ridiculousness. I thought it fit. Yeah, I think the most over-the-top he gets is during one of his you know, investigations where he's yeah. at wit's end because he can't figure out what's going on and his shirt's disheveled. <laughs> and his t- but like, if you think about you're this, this FBI agent and this Boston, I don't want to call it a massacre, but this manslaughter that's going on and you just, you're at wit's end, you can't figure anything out, you're going to be a disheveled mess. But that's not right because he, he seems to figure it all out every time. You know, like every time there's 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 a scene where there's a whole shooting rampage going on. All the other FBI guys that are with them are dumbasses and don't know what the hell's going on. But then Defoe can describe everything like tooth and nail. Well, he knows how it's being done. It's getting to him that he can't figure out who's doing it. Yeah, and that's they're not true. leaving any evidence on the scene. You know, that's mm-hmm. the point where he's getting. I mean, you until see he gets a finger until he finds a finger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. Uh, so moving on, yeah, and I agree that part's great. So it, it is crazy. We got Sean Patrick Flannery is is Connor McManus, uh, one of the two brothers in this. Um, Sean Patrick Flannery, I only other know him as Young Indiana Jones. That's how I know him too. I mean, he's been in other things as well, but Young Indiana Jones. I know you'd asked me earlier, what is it? Young Indiana Jones was a TV show that aired on ABC huh. that was about Indiana Jones in his younger years, and it lasted for like I think World two War seasons. One era of Indiana Jones. No, it wasn't even World War One era because he was, was in the he was in the French Foreign Legion. Oh, yeah. So he, he spends time in like Belgium and stuff like that. Wasn't it during the war? Um, I think it was during the First World War. I don't think it was. I mean, I haven't seen the show in like fifteen years, but I don't, I, I don't think it was during the First World War. I think it. I mean, maybe it was. The, the point is. It's not here in the United States. (laughs) It's overseas. And he's in the French Foreign Legion. And um, it's about his adventures. There's, there's, there's like part of the season, he's a little boy, like he's, you know, 10 or 12. And then part of it, he's Sean Patrick Flannery as like an 18 or 19 year old. Um, But that's where, like, I know him from. Norman Reddus is the other. Reddus. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Norman Reddus. You're the one that has me do this every time. It, because I find it amusing. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully so is everybody else. Uh, he's Murphy, the brother. Uh, I have never seen the show, but apparently he's Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead, who I guess is yep. a massive character on that show. Is that right? Yeah, he's like... The character. I mean, he's, he's, still alive, he's still alive, I think, so that's relevant. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's all the girls' favorite character. Aside from Willem Dafoe, he's the only other person in this movie that I could identify in literally anything else. Yeah. Well, I could identify one other person in this movie. Oh, Ron Jeremy? <laughs> oh, okay. There's two people. There's three people I could identify. Yeah. So Ron Jeremy's in this too, by the way. Yeah. I don't know what the story is behind him showing up, but apparently he did. I couldn't find it either. He's one of the Italian mobsters, apparently, who sets up David Delarocco, who plays David De- uh, Delarocco. He's great in this. He is he my is, favorite part of this he's movie. He's really, really good in this. Like, if, uh, He's better than Willem Dafoe. He's great. He's really, really good in this. Well, when when somebody writes a role based on you as a person, <laughs> yeah. it'd be real hard to botch that. That is true. Which I would like to to go to a bar and have a drink with him to see how really crazy ass he is. I see. I think he's just, I don't think he's crazy ass. I think he's just kind of quirky and funny. 
I don't know. He's the I, funny guy. The I funny feel guy. he is funny guy. I feel he probably wins for the most f bombs, right? I think he said the most. I mean, there's the one line where yeah, I think probably. he drops seven or eight. <laughs> yeah, is that the one where sure. where they're in the kitchen yeah. and then he shoots the cat? No, no. It's it's when he realizes that the two of them took out all those Russian mobsters, yeah. oh. and when they when they do the grand reveal that it was them that were threatening to kill him minutes ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he drops it seven or eight. <laughs> Uh, the only other person I've got since we mentioned Martin Jeremy was uh, Billy Connolly. Oh, Billy Connolly's in this. That's right. Yeah. Famous Go- comedian. Billy Connolly uh, was also in Head of the Class. Mm-hmm. He's El Duce, which my pop quiz. Do you oh, know? I got to hit the button. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, look just, at that. I'm this is slacking. A really, this is a really Let me hit the thing. Are you ready? It is a really oh, easy pop quiz. All right, go. But do you know what other famous person in real life is also called El Duce? Benito Mussolini. Yeah. It's Benito Mussolini. I don't think you knew it, did you? Of course I knew it. <laughs> There's no way you knew yeah, that. Of Look at is. that face. You were clueless. It's an audio podcast. Who the fuck's going to know? It looks, for for those of you listening, it looks like LPJ knew it. He was See, more confident. Saying, of course. He was more Test. confident How than I was. You? See? He he's, was allowed, more, he's allowed back anytime. You there know what? <laughs> You'll regret that. Retro did. <laughs> All right. Well, can I, uh, a fun fact about okay. Bill Connolly. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite fun fact from the movie. He was so geeked to play the character that gets to just have six guns strapped to him as this like mass murdering machine that the only reason he has as a cigar in his mouth and almost every time you see him is he couldn't stop smiling because he was so geeked to play this this killer this cold-blooded killer so they gave him a cigar so he had something to put in his mouth that's he should funny. have been, he should have been in this more i mean he kind of shows up at the very end yeah, and, and, and he's a, pretty awesome that's my other complaint is he's you know he has very few lines but uh, yeah, does he even say anything? Actually, I think he's got like four or five lines. Does well, he? he does follow in um, when they're doing the the family prayer after okay. Rocco's off. Yeah, um, he does finish up the prayer, um, and right. then in the courtroom scene at the end, oh. the now you shall receive us, and they mm-hmm. go through. We don't want your blah, your blah, your blah, huddled masses, etc. Yeah, got it. So, I mean, up next we can, we can go through the movie. I mean, we've already kind of said, yeah, what, said what, what what this movie is all about. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've got these McManus brothers that are <laughs> deciding. There was uh, a scene in the beginning of the movie where they're at the bar. The bartender, I do not know his actor name. For some reason, he's got Tourette's and starts yelling shit all the time. And he messes up, um, uh, was it Proverbs? Yeah. Is it, is it messes yeah. up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why don't you make like a leaf? I get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... Um, bunch of russian mobsters come in they're like hey you know this is our bar we want a drink or whatever fight ensues they was it they light they lit the guy on fire on top of the bar well that what happened? i think oh, they something. yeah i think they they wrapped him up to the uh pool table i thought it was and they lit his ass on fire no that was a later scene where the guy was tied to the pool table i think that was at one of the italian mobsters house I think we're overthinking this. So we probably are. One of the Russians get their ass lit on fire. Yeah, exactly. And then the the Russians come back after the Irish boys. Uh, a toilet drops on the guy's head, and then that is when Defoe, who is the FBI agent Smecker, uh, steps in, and we start to see him kind of do his magic for the first time, where he is very. He's conducting Flamboyant an orchestra. Conduct- He's basically like conducting an orchestra while trying to solve this crime. So, so on on Lieutenant or whatever he is, Paul Smecker, how many times did I watch this movie and how old did I have to be before I realized that that's a play on words and Paul Smecker, you switch the first letters and his name's literally Small Pecker. 
I and, that you just, and that that has to be intentional because <laughs> Paul Smecker, all you gotta do is do a little switcheroony there. I I mean I'm glad that you guys didn't know because I, 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 I this was probably four or five years ago. I'm watching it. It's like you know Agent Paul, you know Paul Smecker, FBI, and I'm like. That's that, <laughs> yeah. That's just small, you know. Just to probably do another like check mark to Troy Duffy being kind of weird, you know. Uh, Agent Paul Smecker. See, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, because Smecker himself, like like we we mentioned already, like he's a weird dude. Like I mean, he's he's gay, which which is fine. But I mean, it's just the way it, that. Yeah. It sounds like it might not be to you. No, it's fine. For those of in you fact, listening, he did make a very odd face you know when he what? said why that he was I, gay. Why is why am I being double teamed here? What the, what the shit is this all about? I don't know what you're talking about. So I when, hate you, but I'm just trying to say. When it, I, I did find it interesting. Like we're talking 1999 here. Yeah. Like some of the references that they make to you know homosexual culture and all that, I was a little surprised well, that they pulled I, it off. That's another or, thing that, or maybe it's like and I would say today totally inappropriate for some of the things they said well that's another thing I, I think it it's it's such a bad representation of gay people yeah like it's it's the whole movie is very homophobic even though there's a gay character in there I think there's a gay character in there it's like it's like someone saying I'm not racist but you know and then saying something racist and I think that's what yeah. this is it's like I'm not homophobic but you know, all right, I'm gonna put this gay character in my movie. I'm not homophobic, but I'm gonna make all these sorts of homophobic references. Or like when that one scene where uh, Rocco's telling the joke to the mobster, and the mobster <laughs> keeps making him say the N word. Yeah, it's, there's no reason for it to be there. It's it just, makes me laugh though. It's like, why is it there? It's like I, I know. you know, I'm not racist, so I'm gonna make this guy feel uncomfortable about saying the N word, but I'm gonna make him say the N word like 65 times. So one one thing that Sphinx is missing, and it's kind of the the theme of the movie. So what you see happen is you see you know these mobsters get into the fight, and then all of a sudden it cuts to the aftermath. We've got guys knocked out, we've got guys dead. Mm-hmm. What happened? That's and this happens three or four times throughout the movie. You then mm-hmm. see Agent Paul Smecker come up, and sometimes you know there's always nice nice operatic music. The first time he actually puts in headphones, hits play on the portable CD player he's got on his hip, and this opera goes, and he just kind of dances and with the wind goes through and is able to identify all the stuff that happens and then rather as he's describing it or shortly thereafter it's almost his voiceover describing what happened and you actually see that that fight that brawl that shootout take place that's one of the things I really really like about this movie is it does take you back in time even though it's just hours earlier minutes earlier it's just okay here's the start here's the finish Let's go back and explore the middle together. Yeah, and I enjoyed that part too. I do think it's a, a bit of a ripoff of the whole Tarantino disjointed storytelling. Um, a but, bit. but I do like the usage of it. I think it it was. I think the idea is good. Um, yeah, and I would say the execution's pretty good too. Yeah, I think I I do think Defoe does a good job when he does those scenes. I mean, it it's neat. It's unique for a gay guy. <laughs> you said that, <laughs> not me. It was, you, it was, that was your inner monologue. That, that, yeah. For those listening, Sphinx's face lit up when I said that. Enjoy. <laughs> anyway, so you liked so it. So gonna get fired. So I don't even know where you you guys got me off the game here. I, I mean, I guess it just it just keeps going like. They're just they're running around Boston trying to take out all these bad guys, all these mobsters. I mean, there's there's several different scenes where there's big firefights. You know, there's one 
that is going on at a was it a strip club or a brothel or whatever the sin bin it was called that's where we see ron jeremy get killed and a whole bunch of people get blown out of the way you're missing a very pivotal part of the story that's very easy to miss because it's not told well this goes back to your guys's your guys's whole issue with the movie when they're in the jail cell the morning after they fight the 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 um the Russian mobsters outside the bar. Mm-hmm. They're sitting there and you get this scene where they're almost like they're having nightmares and water's leaking in through them and, and they kind of wake up in a cold sweat. The idea at that exact scene is that God's telling them to kill bad people. And it's not really communicated very well, but that's the whole reason why they continue this pursuit against evil is because they feel like, you know, after they did what they did to the Russians, God's saying, that's okay, keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah I, I did miss that. And I missed it. I mean, I when I read about the movie afterwards, I saw that that was in it. But watching the movie, yeah, it completely went right over my head. I didn't and, catch it. And that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, like, what am I missing? I'm, I'm obviously, there's, there's something I'm not pulling the threads on. I can't quite piece together what I'm missing in this movie. So, what is it? So up, up until, you know, the, the fight in the bar, the very first fight scene in the movie, that's just an act of self-defense. That's all it is. An act of self-defense. They're in the bar. They get attacked. Well, they're about to be attacked by these Russians. They shoot first, sort of. And, you know, they, they defend the bar and everything. Then they end up, you know, the next day they're getting beat up and, you know, they end up in a, a holding cell or whatever. But it's it's that point where they feel like they get this mission from God. And maybe this is uh, based on the indoctrination as a kid, the reason the whole family prayer. Maybe this is what they were bred to do, like you mentioned, they're coming out. But then that's what sends them on this path to go after the Russian mob. And then based on how the Italian mafia does Rocco wrong, then they go after the Italian mob. And, I mean, that's it. It's just they feel like... You know, you know, are you a saint or are you a sinner? That's kind of the, you know, that that's the, that's the the motivation of the movie. So it's that scene where they're told by God that it's okay to keep doing this that keeps them from doing this, or the, keeps them doing this. The message from God that you talk about also brings up a scene that was so close for me to be a really good scene, and that was the one where Defoe goes to the church to do his confession. And, like, it, it was neat because you had Rocco that was, like, behind him, you know, like, at gunpoint to the priest. And he had the other, you know, the brother that was kind of strangling them all, too. And it's where Defoe is trying to wrap his head around, like, what am I doing are these in this guys, movie? Yeah, are these guys good guys or bad guys? Do I need to stop them? Or since they're only killing bad guys, should I leave them alone? So yeah. he goes to church for help. Yeah, and he's got that, you know, he's got, yeah, he's got that inner conflict in his head. For, for what exactly it is he's supposed to do. Um, you know, the, the priest, one thing that he says, I think was kind of like the, the light bulb that flashed in, in Defoe's eyes was that laws of God are higher than the laws of men. So if these guys really feel like there's a calling and if he feels like that what they're doing is right, then maybe that's kind of how it is. And then that's what kind of promotes Defoe to then kind of join their side at that final scene at the end where he's like cross-dressing and you know the you know he kind of he, he doesn't he really join yeah, yeah he helps them he ultimately is, he, he, he ultimately he, he changes his mind well he finds out that ultimately they're going to be set up like he knows based on the conversations their next target is to go for the Yakavetta mob boss Papa Yakavetta mm-hmm. and 
I forgot, he's talking to the same old man, the former underboss in the bathroom or whatever, that the, the Donna just talked to when he realized, oh my God, it's a setup. So, Who's throwing urinal cakes for whatever reason. That's what happens when you're done. That's why the Italian mafia scene is not a good one. When you leave, when you retire as underboss, you become bathroom attendant. Um, so he finds out it's a setup. So then, yes, without even like co-conspiring with them, he makes the decision. I have to try to help these guys. They're going to die. But at this point, it's going to be bad guys killing questionably bad guys as opposed to the questionably good guys killing bad guys. So he makes the call to go and try to, uh, you know, help him out. Ultimately, doesn't end up really helping yeah and that's uh, you know that and then like the fact that he decides to help them I, it just i don't know it was missing a little bit because that's kind of a cool piece a, a, a neat twist to the story but i also feel like it kind of missed the target a little bit well, for what it was trying to do in terms of impact and th- and that's where um like the religious aspect comes into it like did he you brought up a good point like did he go to church to find out if his thoughts that God was telling them to kill were accurate, you know, like what was he going there to confirm? Justified, his it was right. justified. Yeah, and and if that's the case, is is that what he's what he's asking? Is he is he somehow trying to find out like what God's purpose for them is? And if that's the case, is his purpose to help them? Because the laws of God are greater than the laws of man, like his the whole religious aspect of it gets lost. He admits to being not religious, and it's his first yeah. time in a confessional. He just doesn't know who else to ask. He, li- I think, I forget what word he used. He's like, "I'm here for advice. I'm not yeah. here for anything else." And he just, yeah, he just wants someone to say it's okay to let these guys kill bad guys. And he knows, you know, nobody at work's going to say that because at work they're criminals, right? So he goes to the church and says, "Is you know, what can you tell me? What's what's okay here and they do a they they really rush the finish because it's one thing when he's trying to help these two brothers that have only killed bad guys believable but then when the murderous machine that is their father shows up on the scene and if he was in this maximum security prison obviously willem dafoe's character probably has heard of him but it's like oh you've been released and oh you're killing people too well let's the four of us go and really do a big kill that's the part where it's like well wait a minute if even if you're a even if you think it's okay like you know this one dude's a bad dude. There's a reason why he... Well, he was used by the Italian... The, the father, Il Duce. Yep. Yeah. He was used by the Italian mafia to kill... When they needed to kill one of their own, he would just go bump the guy off. So this guy's clearly known as being just a hard ass. But it's like, oh, you know what? You're with these two guys, so I guess you're okay by my book. Because it goes from the cross-dressing scene right to the courthouse scene. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, I think it's three months later, but it's like... I would have liked to see a little bit of what happens in those three months, you know. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I found it odd, too. Like, when Rocco dies, the brothers are so emotional over his death. And I'm kind of like, weren't they only working together for, like, two days? Well, no, because they're childhood friends. Yeah, they were. Oh, they they were childhood friends. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Oh, I missed that They were childhood friends. Rocco went to go work for the mob. Oh. Yeah, because we see him in the bar at the very beginning. They're all hanging out. Yeah, he is they're all the hanging out. So though the, he wasn't part of their their vigilante crew yeah, until quest. you know the the Italian mafia did Rocco wrong, they still knew him. So it, it, it could have been the closest thing they had to a brother. Or who knows? Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, what is it? What is it about this movie that really speaks to you? So I, I mean, I'm not 
so I'm not a movie person. I've clarified that. I'm not really an action person, but this was a really good combination of like a, a crime action thriller that there could be another crime action thriller drama out there that I might like more, but I don't, I don't seek them out. I, I saw this movie. I like, you know, I, I like the idea of, you know, are they good or are they bad? You know, um, you know, kind of Batman-esque, but they got no problem killing people. Sure. Um, I, I like the writing. I like the over-the-top, you know, the over-the-top that David Delarocco gets, the over-the-top that Willem Dafoe gets. When he's sitting there and he's describing the scene where Il Duce, you know, because this is the one part where he's wrong, where it's like, oh, no, six guys with guns show up, and, and the, the idiot cop goes, well, what if it's just one guy with six guns? And he dismisses it, because what a stupid idea. So then you see it, and, and in, in this scene, as you're watching the shootout between the brothers and Il Duce, before they realize who each other is, Willem Dafoe's in the scene, mimicking everything he's telling the story but he's also in the story and at one point he just rears back and yells there was a firefight and he just brings the whole movie i think his character is the only thing that keeps this movie together okay. because a lot of it's a little bit wild i think i just i like the over the top of it um it might have hit me i mean i would have been well, I would have been a sophomore in high school, right? So the guns, the shooting, the big over-the-top cinematic, not cinematics, but you know what I mean, the over-the-top action scenes. Yeah. It was all, it was like just the really slow good. motion of those scenes to, you know, bring out that emotion into it. And this is, I would say it's it's an emotional movie. Oh, yeah. And then when you see, you know, when Rocco gets killed, like you said, that's through the roof. Um, but you all, you have so many highs, but the lows never get too low before you're hit with a new high. And then you get, and then it's a new level of high. Like when you know, Rocco, Rocco's girlfriend comes home and like Rocco and he's just, I gotta go. I gotta go. I just something Rocco. I gotta go. What you stupid druggy bitch or whore. I forgot what he calls her, but like, and he just points the gun right in his, right in the, it's just, it's all so over the top. And I am a very over the top person that that lack of realism like it doesn't phase me it's interesting you say that lack of realism because i i feel there's, there's quite a bit of realism into this movie well think of the rope though yeah i i mean like i'm i'm thinking of the very very end when the credits are going and they're interviewing those people and they're finding you know some think they're good some think they're bad and i feel like like that's that's a pretty relevant conversation that i think people probably have in real life yeah it's, it's almost like a, a guns a gun rights conversation but it's kind of doled up because the guys are bad guys or good guys yeah like is like if you i think if you did a poll of people and asked them like do you think it's justifiable to to kill bad guys by any means necessary you know like some of the people are saying hey it's making the streets safer it's doing those kind of things i think that 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 brings a, a realistic perspective to maybe people that live in inner cities and, and different things like that that just have different unique perspectives i didn't like that scene at all really i i didn't like I thought it was, there's a scene in Clerks that's very similar to that where they're interviewing different people. It's that whole uh, black and white interview style. Um, I thought that was a direct, this was a direct ripoff of that and not in a good way. I thought it was too set up because every scene is one person agrees, one person disagrees, one person agrees. It's always two people, one agrees, one disagrees. And a ton and of no comments. ton of no comments. Yeah. And one person thinks, and the person that disagrees thinks the other person is completely crazy and vice versa. And I don't, but isn't that an interesting dialogue of today? Like how we can't get dialogue. of how we can't get people like people either think that I completely agree with you or I think you're batshit crazy. But that was not then. That's now. 
So looking at it from the lens of today, that makes sense. But looking at it from the lens of then, it just didn't... Well, do you know that, though? 1999, 2000, that people also didn't feel that way? I don't know they didn't feel that way, but they didn't discuss things that way. No, you're right. I mean, we're, that's that's an age before there's social media and things like that. Sure. So. I, think th- I think that conversation isn't had then. That conversation's had now. Mm-hmm. Troy Duffy, well ahead of his time. Yeah, but I think <laughs> <laughs> maybe... A, f- a, tr- a true visionary. <laughs> Unintentionally. Yeah, okay. So, Sphinx, you had said that the first time you saw this movie, you didn't like it, implying that the second time you saw it, it got progressively better? I, I think so. I think... The, the first time I saw it, it didn't really, it didn't do anything for me. Like, I watched it, I, I moved on, and, and didn't think anything of it. And I think that watching it the second time, I, I started to have kind of some of those those thoughts about, you know, the vigilantism, good or bad, how does it work? You know, I liked how there were attempts to kind of bring that religious side into things. And, and even though Defoe still freaks the shit out of me, like, he... He does. You're right. He holds the movie together. Like he he does a great job in the film for who he's trying to portray. Personally, he portrays a crazy person to me, but nonetheless, like I, I did have a little bit more appreciation for it. Yeah. So more of appreciation for the movie, not necessarily a like of the movie. I thought that the action scenes were solid. I mean, again, as as an action podcast, you know, all the different scenes with the mobsters and the shooting and all that, you know, there's a scene where they kind of do a ripoff from Mission Impossible where they come in from the ceiling. I mean, there are some pretty awesome action scenes in this film. Yeah, I'll give you that. The action scenes were pretty good. Yeah. Which, I, which is not easy to do. I mean, this guy coming from nothing, you know, being able to choreograph those scenes and all that, it's impressive. Well, me, on the other hand, I watched it last night in preparation, and I liked it just as much as I ever have. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) But that's probably, realistically, the fifth movie I've watched this year. So (laughs) I'm not really... How many times have you seen this? I've probably watched it twice a year. Okay. You know, a a lot of times... So since it is like that cult, you know, a lot of times, you know, if I'm just entertaining guests or whatever it may be, like, oh, have you ever seen the movie Boone United States? No, I haven't. Comes up a lot more often than, oh, I yeah, I have. It's pretty good. So I'm like, let me let me take you on a tail here. Let's watch Boondock Saints. So a lot of times that's kind of a, uh, um, you know, people, friends, females, sure. whatever, don't have anything to do. Let's pop in this movie. So I watch it sometimes because I'm always trying to show people yeah. the movie that have never seen it before. So that's, that's my first go-to of what movie do you want to watch? Okay. And I think going into our, our final part here we're going to talk about, which is our ratings, you know, is would you recommend the movie, you know, type of deal. And and I would say I, I think it's worth a watch. I don't think LPJ is going to agree with that, but I don't See, know. I don't know. Um, let's do the ratings. We'll do the ratings. Okay. Okay. So... How do we want to do this? Who wants to go first? Who do you think? Who do you guys think should go first? Well, we Sphinx. always offer. Oh, right, I was gonna say we always offer it to the guests first, but we do. Sphinx you don't have first. To. Okay. Yeah, you you carte blanche, whatever you choose. So, I don't. I didn't write a writing. Okay. So I, I'm I'm kind of doing it on the fly, to be quite honest. I always do it on the fly. Do you? <laughs> yes. And I I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna give it a two and a half out of okay. five. Um. I. It's kind of what we just kind of talked about. There's a lot of things about the movie that I appreciate. The action scenes are good. good. Defoe does a great job. There's just, there's too many misses for me to say that this was a good movie. Um, 
there's there's too much potential that could have really made this a, a fabulous movie. And so I'm going to say it, it's average. I mean, I get why there's the cult following. I get why people love it. Um, that's that's not me, though. Okay. I'm going to let you go last because I want you to sell it. Um, I'm going to give it a two. But I think it's because, and again, for those reasons, good action sequence. I think the movie is basically just like action sequences strung together by a loose plot that wasn't executed well or developed properly. I think the movie is very amateurish insofar as it needed more refinement from somebody with um, any kind of experience, either in rewriting scripts or composing scenes or writing dialogue, anything along those lines. However, the concept of the movie itself, I think, is very good. And take into account the um, narrative that you can write in between the lines of the movie for yourself, I think it could potentially be one of those movies that you will enjoy over and over again, such as the way that you do test. Um, And I can certainly understand why it's a cult movie. I'm going to rate it a two. I will say you should see the movie, but take it with a grain of salt insofar as, if anything, it's an incomplete picture of what should be there. Uh, but it is a good no it's not a good movie it's <laughs> a movie you should see and then judge for yourself after you see it whether or not you think it's good because it may speak to you it may not I, I don't know this movie is one of those weird ones where I can see where people could love it and I can see like my point of view where people don't necessarily like it so take it away test so and and I will admit that this is one of those things in life where this is my favorite favorite in this case of a movie but I in no way will ever market it that it's the best movie ever I think there are better movies I just like this one the best now to your point LPJ I can't go back and watch this movie without the additional context I've written for myself right without the additional reading I've done interviews with the actors I've put together this picture on my own that it's hard for me to just to watch the movie and experience it as is as flawed as it is right given that I give the movie four and a quarter machine guns out of five right because we're out of five here right yeah. I'm gonna give you the quarter normally we don't do quarters you know what we've never we'll done the quarter. Yeah, we've never done a quarter, well, so, first quarter. quarter. So, so I'm such a math guy <laughs> that if I gave it four that's an 80% I don't like that an 85% I can get behind so four and a quarter <laughs> it fucking is. sold I so, like it so I, I absolutely believe so do should people watch this movie yes if you've never seen it right now it, I mean it's on Netflix it's and everybody's got somebody's password um So you should absolutely watch this. But if you want to try to get to the level where I enjoy this movie, where you can say, I actually, I enjoyed that movie. It's it's a three-part process. One, watch the movie. Two, have a conversation with me. Let's talk about the movie. Three, watch it again. Because I bet you after that rewatch, when I can give you the context that Troy Duffy did not, that you will say, oh, this isn't as defunct or, or disjointed as a movie as it, as it, you know, as it's clear as day on the screen, that this is a more cohesive story. And then you can actually enjoy it for the action sequence, for the over-the-top nature of, of Willem Dafoe and David Delarocco's character. You can enjoy those things because you're not thinking about well, wait, 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 what wait, what just happened? Because there is a lot of what just happens. And if it's your first time watching it and you get that, it's okay jot them down let's have a conversation in the discord and then go back and watch it again and tell me you don't enjoy it that a little bit more 
that that's my that's my pitch for four and a quarter stars. That's a good pitch. Can I ask you a quick quick question? Because I'm kind of curious. You said you you've done some you've looked into some of the interviews. Do you know how how does Defoe feel about this movie? Because he is the the big wig in the film. I'm just kind of. I'm kind of curious if I mean just shooting from the hip here I think it's one of those things that he kind of did and moved past it Um, but it's probably I probably did my most research and digging if I saw this movie in 2004 then it was probably no later than 2007 and 8 that I was done with my research because then Mm -hmm. people just stopped talking about it there's nothing else left to say so it's been conservatively 10 years since I did anything but just watch the movie but I think Defoe was like it is what it was maybe it wasn't the masterpiece it could have been I actually think he may he might mirror your opinions on it that it could have been better but it is what it is and it's he's past it Um, but I don't remember him being like overly sour about it or overly joyful okay fair enough all right. Well, so you know, instead of doing the normal business that we usually do at the end of the show here, are we going to say the family prayer? <laughs> We're not going to say the family <laughs> prayer. And shepherds, we shall be for thee, my lord. I'll for tell thee. you what. You can take us out in the family prayer. I want to let you pitch and sell whatever it is you want to sell in relation to plugs. So test take it. You got a. You are you are the daddy Mac of streaming for the, us. The voice of Switch, right? Yes. Right here with us. So you, the, the face of Switch. You oh, take it sorry. away. The, the show is yours. <laughs> when I asked you if there's anything I should prep, this would have been a great thing to say. So if you guys love the Last Action podcast and the content that's produced, but maybe you're not as big of a movie guy like I am. A, I don't know why you're listening. B, thanks for listening. C, I've got some <laughs> other stuff to tell you. GameZillaMedia.com <laughs> will be your home for all things gaming, gaming news, and now we're bringing in all sorts of other pop culture stuff with the last action podcast and some of the other uh, content creators that we have so you can check out every Monday on twitch.tv slash gamezilla media you will see a live recording of the gamezilla podcast which is current gaming news our opinions it's an awesome show otherwise check out twitch.tv slash testonomics where you can find more of me the face of switch streaming two to 30 nights a week it really depends on how i feel but your hub for everything will be gamezillamedia.com there's something for you if you've made it this far i promise you'll find something you like better and it probably involves me <laughs> i love it i love it that was brilliant yes i try all right so do, do you know do you know the prayer i do you want to take it out and shepherds we shall be for thee my lord for thee power hath descended forth from thy hand that our feet may swiftly carry out thy command we shall flow a river forth to thee and teeming with souls shall it ever be in nomine patriot fili et spiritus sancti <laughs>